Well, hello, everyone. Have you been wondering what the current literature is saying about your hormones? Have you struggled with hormone imbalance, hot flashes, mood swings, loss of libido, and really kind of aren't getting clear answers as to what's the best route to really start feeling better and getting in hormone balance? Well, today I am bringing you Dr. Edwin Lee an expert in hormone management, integrative medicine, and age management medicine. And he is a board-certified endocrinologist. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Edwin Lee. He is not only one of the best physicians that I know, he is an author and an international speaker and educator. Dr. Lee founded the Institute for Hormonal Balance in 2008. He's board-certified in internal medicine, endocrinology, diabetes and metabolism, and has completed special training in regenerative and functional medicine. Currently, he is the assistant professor of internal medicine at the University of Central Florida College of Medicine. In addition to writing his books, including two awesome children books, one called Your Awesome Brain, and the other is Your Amazing Heart. I highly recommend these. He's written for those of us that um, really want to get a better understanding on hormones. A, a couple other books. One is called Feel Good, Look Younger, Reversing Tiredness Through Hormonal Balance, and the book Your Best Investment, Secrets to a Healthy Body and Mind. Dr. Lee has published many articles on internal medicine and endocrinology. He is also an author in the fourth edition of Textbook of Critical Care. He's an active member of the Age Management Medicine Group and the American Association of Clinical Endocrinology. And he is not without controversy. Welcome, Dr. Lee. Well, thank you. That, that sounds so great. Uh, I'm thinking, wow, this is, who's this person? So, and, uh, always <laughs> a pleasure to be on. So, um, yes, thank you for inviting me um, on your show again. Oh, absolutely. Great to have you. Great to have you. And you're a wealth of information. Also a great clinician. I want, um, our audience to, to, we'll tell them how to connect with you at your clinic too in Florida. But Edwin has the ability, he's one of those rare physicians that has, you know, the, you know, high level, um, intellectual range of research understanding and clinical studies as well as great bedside manner, great clinicians worked with patients and has that intuitive ability to customize and care for. And, and that I think Edwin, correct me if I'm wrong, but that really contributed to you getting into functional medicine, this, you know, integrating all aspects of healing into your client base. Yeah, so I kind of got into it when I uh, was practicing just pure conventional endocrinology, working in a uh, large multi-specialty clinic in uh, Central Florida. And um, anyway, I was uh, realizing that uh, I really wanted to educate my patients. And uh, current, I saw the current uh, um, medical system broken, and uh, I, I felt like there was something better than what was I that I was trained for. And eventually I went to Las Vegas and uh, there was an age management uh, uh, meeting there. And I uh, actually was the AMMG meeting at the Red Rock. And uh, I was really just impressed with 
these closet endocrinologists talking about how to balance hormones, but they talked about nutrition and functional medicine. And I, I, when I came back, I was so excited. I told my wife, you know, you know I finally saw the light uh, and this is where I want to go. And I decided to uh, basically um, learn more about it. And uh, I'm, I'm been, I took the big leap and jumped in with two feet and uh, didn't know anyone in Orlando and didn't have any um, business sense. But uh, I actually um, I've been really blessed with a great practice. Mm-hmm. And very in high demand. I know you have a long waiting list. And and I think probably I, I want to just put my ego in there and say that I was one of the speakers that you heard that helped you make that mm-hmm. big leap. <laughs> right, right, right. You were there. And uh, there were um, actually Dr. Jeffrey Life got the award for uh, the, um, uh, the, the, um, uh, the Alan Mintz Award. Yes, uh, exactly. That was. So it, it, time flies. It does. I know it's been a, it's been a long road. Well, uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to, for our listeners, why I wanted to invite Dr. Edwin Lee on today's call is because the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists and the American College of Endocrinology published their position statement on menopause and this was released just a couple months ago and I will be putting in our show notes the link to this article that was published in 2017 in July just this last month and so I um, contacted Edwin right away because I had some gripes about this position statement every time I think we've made leaps and bounds when it comes to taking care of women in menopause something like this comes up and it irritates me Edwin it's like it's setting us back and it's creating a um it's it's actually putting out some really you know misinformation out there which I feel has you know has a lot to do with you know pharmacy and big pharma's manipulation of our clinical abilities to prescribe or or the clinical practice of our, of us prescribers and and so i wanted to kind of just bust out some information really highlight the you know the significant pieces that um are are in agreement and with all that said you know i mean i believe highly in these organizations and the studies but i think that sometimes there's a, a tendency for bias and a, a really a um misunderstanding of what the research does say and and what clinical experience tends to reveal you and i are both clinicians the people we work with are clinicians we're not studying lab rats and and I think this this does make a difference. Definitely, definitely. So, um, yeah. So, um, I guess the big point is bioidentical hormones. Um, the the recent uh, position statement by the American Association of Clinical Endocrinology, which I'm a member of, a proud member of, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I'm not a um, a fan of this uh, uh, position uh, statement that was just recently published on menopause. And I think the big sore is uh, uh, my organization, uh, ACE, um, American Association of Clinical Endocrinology, does not recommend use of bioidentical hormone therapy. And um, I think, you know, you know, as you were saying before the show, you know, we use a lot of bioidentical hormones uh, in our daily practice, um, including insulin, and we also use basically. Um, 
use cortisol or hydrocortisone, and in addition, our thyroid. And so it's just really one of those things that uh, there are bioidentical hormones that we use, and they use micronized progesterone, which is also bioidentical. They use a transdermal estradiol, um, which is uh, bioidentical. So the whole thing about bioidentical, I think it's kind of uh, this old argument that's just being dragged down the road and mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are just kind of tired uh, I'm, I know I'm tired of this of this whole argument mm -hmm. um, so the thing is that uh, you know what is bioidentical what is not bioidentical uh, you know if it's you know some people say if it's synthetically made then quote it's um, it's not bioidentical so it's 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 you know I think if it's chemically structured the same as your body that's the best way uh, to take um, and not something that's uh, a foreign object. So if there's some, if there's a hormone that you're missing and that uh, you need to take it because your body stopped making it like estrogen, progesterone, or testosterone, then you need to basically uh, supplement with it or replace it uh, with, with bioidentical hormone therapy. Um, I don't say bioidentical in my practice. Um, I just stopped saying it uh, because... I think a lot of my patients have read my book and uh, feel feel good look younger, and I've kind of discussed about bioidentical versus non-bioidentical. So it's the synthetic hormones that you want to avoid, like uh, Premarin or horse estrogen or Provera. Yeah. Yeah, no, without a doubt. The, in this position statement, it puts eight new recommendations, and I thought we would just hit them one by one. Sure. That's okay with yeah. you. So we can go through it, but yeah, again, and we can talk about, like you said, there are so many bioidentical hormones that we use as, um, standard of care, you know, it, and the issue that I think, um, clouds this, these recommendations is like what we can do with compounding pharmacy, customizing our bioidentical hormones versus what big pharma says, okay, here, prescribe this through J and J or Wyeth or whatever company. Now, for example, we can use bioidentical, bioidentical hormones such as estrace, vagifem. You know, those are bioidentical estrogens, testosterone. Most of the testosterone we prescribe for men and women is bioidentical and, um, or in a, a you know, combination that is a, um, has a pharmacologic modification to it that, um, is available as well, but like T4, T3, when we're talking about thyroid, cortisol, insulin, and um, progesterone, bioidentical versus synthetic. And that's where the problem really came in, especially when it comes to women's health, that um, using synthetic, synthetic hormones, because uh, when it came to progesterone is that um, bioidentical progesterone wasn't patentable. So there were formulations that were made to make it so. Isn't that correct, Edwin? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely 100% correct. So um, Big Pharma cannot uh, patent basically something that's in nature so that uh, they cannot patent like water or basically um, a natural hormone that our body makes. So it's um, if they can't make a profit, then, you know, they, 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 there's constantly battling. It's a battle. It's like, you know, these small little wars that are continually go on year after year and then congress tries to shut down the bioidentical uh, i mean the compound pharmacy but it, you know there's such an uproar and there's all these protests and it basically goes away so 
you know, hopefully um, <clears throat> Ivanka Trump uh, is into bioidentical hormones, so, so <laughs> someone on our side. So that might make a difference. So the first posi- the yeah. first recommendation that they made is that the use of menopausal hormone therapy in symptomatic postmenopausal women should be based on consideration of all risk factors for cardiovascular disease, age, and time from menopause. So I I couldn't agree more. I agree with that. I think yeah, I agree um, with that. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, I mean, you know, you, every every woman's different, and not every woman wants to be on hormone therapy. So. Um, you know, I have some women who tried it and, you know, they just didn't feel comfortable, but 99% of my patients love it, so they stay on it. Right. And they, and, um, I, I tell all my patients that, um, uh, you know, women that are going to menopause or, or in a menopause, I tell them this is a dangerous disease and that uh, you're going to have a higher rate of Alzheimer's or dementia and uh, heart disease and osteoporosis and you can prevent all this by basically being on you know bio on bioidentical hormones or uh, hormone replacement therapy and uh, try to use the lowest dose uh, and be monitored and um, yes. i think you have to tailor to to everybody everyone's different that's why you can't really uh, franchise this you have to really every every person's different yeah, and it was long as we have the ability to continue treating patients as individuals, not, you know, mass populations. And I think that's exactly true in my practice as well. Um, the other thing is I really, I think maybe demand is probably a strong word, but it's true <laughs> with patients that I'm putting on hormone therapy is that they're also doing therapeutic lifestyle changes. They're making mm-hmm. therapeutic yeah. lifestyle changes or they're not a candidate for bioidentical hormone. There's no magic wand. We have to put in the hard work. You know, we have to exercise, like you say in your book, um, your amazing heart, huff, puff, and sweat. <laughs> oh, you remember that, secret one, yes, huff, puff, and sweat, yes. Huff, uh, I did that this morning. I'm yeah. actually uh, going to be, uh, I haven't done this in a long time, but uh, this Saturday I'm doing a, uh, not a triathlon because I have 380 discs, but I'm doing something called the aqua bike. So I swim with the triathletes and, and bike. It's a small one sprint and then bike like 11 miles and then I'm done. So um, I'm going to huff, puff and sweat. Yeah. It's, so. it's good to have that challenge too, to kind of. Yeah, we, we, we have to do that. Yeah. It's like Jack O'Lane. You have to, he sat down and watched TV, but he also exercised and we have, we all have to exercise. So. Yes. Yeah. So, and that's the other thing, like cardiovascular disease. We have a window where we're able to use hormones to decrease our risk of cardiovascular disease. And really that window is very, very wide. I mean, unless you, even in clients that have, you know, again, under physician guidance, certain things that we will choose as, as hormone prescribers, as, as, um, functional medicine docs to really enhance your cardiovascular system. We can do it with hormones. One thing that I would say is a no-no is oral estrogen because oral estrogen, right. you know, bioidentical estrogen, whatever oral estrogen will increase your inflammatory markers. Yeah, increase the clotting factors from the liver to increase the risk of a, uh, a blood clot and then heart attack or stroke. So, yeah, recommendation number two, that they 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 they, they basically recommend uh, taking the hormone therapy instead of by mouth, but transdermal when it comes to estrogen. So, 
I agree. I was so glad to see that here because there were great studies, 2010 studies to early 2000 studies that were done and published in um, uh, cardiovascular journals that looked at oral versus transdermal estrogen and showed the, you know, significant benefit to use transdermal over oral preparations. And I agree. But I think that's going to hurt one pharmaceutical company that does still, um, you know, primary horse estrogen by mouth. So, um, Mm-hmm. And, uh, and their combo pill, Prempro, which is, mm-hmm. those are the two worst estrogens you, um, you want to ever take. Yes. Uh, so I, I, I really like this recommendation. So this, Me too. Is, this is great. And that brings but us I think to... most functional doctors, you know, who specialize in HRT, they're not going to give estrogen by mouth. So. Yeah, and especially not over age 45 or age 50. Kind of, you know, there's a time early on, like what's easy, what's quick. Um, where, you know, no history of cardiovascular disease, athletic body type, you know, there's a window, you know, risk, um, benefit comparison to use some oral estrogen. But I was kind of drew a line at age 50 regardless, um, for, to recommend transdermal and in general, trochees. I'm a big fan of trochees and then of course vaginal mm-hmm. hormones. Yeah. I, I actually have a lot of success with, uh, Little creams uh, on the labia. Uh, if they fail, the trochees or sublinguals are, uh, they're, they're, they kind of get a quick absorption and they can feel it. Uh, and uh, have really good numbers uh, when they do it uh, uh, on the labia. Mm-hmm. Very vascular and well absorbed. <laughs> that brings us into recommendation number three, which we talk about, you know, using. Um, here it says, when the use of progesterone is necessary, micronized progesterone is considered the safer alternative. Well, um, you know, versus Provera. So I think yeah. that's what they're suggesting. But, uh, you know, there's, um, you know, Provera, for, for people that uh, are not familiar with it, Provera is synthetic progesterone. You take it by mouth and that's been linked clearly in the in, in the studies, increase in risk of strokes and heart disease. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, uh, I always like it sublingual uh, to avoid the, the liver, or um, I have patients use creams. But uh, micronized progesterone, um, is, like in Prometrium, is fine. So I have some patients. Yeah, oral micronized progesterone. And then this one little clause about this that I want to elaborate on in number three is that when it says when progesterone is necessary, I don't know about you. Oh, it's Ed, it's for everyone. Yeah, everyone is yeah. Yeah, I tell, uh, I've found, yeah. So I have a, I have many couples that come to see me and, um, I have this one attorney and, um, he, he's kind of funny. He, he's told me, he goes, I will listen to your complaints, but the answer is progesterone. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. So, yeah, so uh, progesterone is, the, I think, the wonder hormone for a lot of women to help them sleep better, help with anxiety, PMS, irritability, help them think better. It, it, it's just really, a, we have progesterone receptors in the brain and uh, also estrogen and testosterone receptors. But uh, progesterone is the one that calms you. And I have a lot of men who steal their wives' progesterone mm-hmm. to help them sleep. Mm-hmm. I agree. A little bit goes a long way with guys too. And typically I I'm, I use a progesterone transdermal cream and then my um, Pure Balance PPR cream has progesterone and, and a little bit of pregnenolone in there for that 
combination. But I think where this progesterone, you know, like when it's necessary, the OBGYN society says, well, if you don't have a uterus, you don't need progesterone. And this comes back to the prior research that said, oh, well, when they were on the synthetic Provera, they got you know, higher risk of heart disease, higher risk, you know, of negative side effects, et cetera, down the line. So if you don't have a uterus, the idea of progesterone was that, okay, unopposed estrogen will cause endometrial cancer and, and the thickening of the lining of the uterus in the in menopausal women. And, and that is absolutely true. Unopposed estrogen will do that. But adding in progesterone is always necessary with or without a uterus because we have progesterone receptors all over our body mm-hmm. right and uh you know it's also protective against i think against uh, the data out there uh with against breast cancer so I mean, yes it yeah so the you know the french study the eighty-eight thousand women mm-hmm. uh, that took uh bioidentical progesterone with with estrogen actually had a lower rate of breast cancer versus women who didn't take a uh, Bioidentical progesterone. Right, so. right. Those were Dr. Fournier's studies in 2005, 2008. I mean, not a small study looking at bioidentical hormones. The largest, right? that was eight, the largest eight study, I think, in the yeah, largest study in the world. So. Yes, yes, yeah. and they achieved some great results. And that's also where it differentiated because they looked at the different types of synthetic progestins, the pregnant nor pregnant derivatives, et cetera, and said, oh, you know, yeah, nothing is better than bioidentical in these instances. But then, then in fact, you have a lower um, odds ratio or lower risk if you're on a bioidentical. Again, again, too, the, the, um, the population, the receptiveness of the population, the skill of the practitioner, all of that, I, you know, you can't take those out of the study bias for sure. Yeah, I I honestly think maybe in your practice and many other practices is that uh, there are a lot of women who um, kind of get yelled on, yelled at by other doctors because, you know, they take uh, HRT therapy um, or bioidentical hormone therapy with estrogen and progesterone and, and you know, they, they feel like they're chastised. But a lot of women, I have some patients who give it back to them and say, look, I've been seeing you for X amount of years and you've never helped me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, anyway, I'm, I'm glad that um, some of my patients stand up and you know speak up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a hard place to be. I was thinking about it earlier. I was riding my bike back from taking my daughter to school and thinking, you know, my my mom passed away 20 years now, and and boy, I really would like to know how she handled menopause and and things like that. And thinking she just right. took, you know, she just took the authoritative. I mean, she she took the authority of the physicians that just wrote her one prescription after another prescription after another prescription. And by the time she passed away, she was on 11 prescription medications. And and that's just tragic. And I don't want, I, I hope that women are listening and recognizing that if you've been prescribed something, let's get to the underlying reason why it was prescribed. And, and let's address that. So for example, you know, depression, PMS, um, irregular cycles, Progesterone deficiency. That's what you need. And yeah, I think we're, yeah, that's, that's exactly the point. And uh, we have uh, uh, a joke in our office. We're going to have a t-shirt sold like, uh, progesterone saved my marriage. Yes. Oh my gosh. I always say if you only hate your husband two weeks out of the month, it's your hormones, not your husband. <laughs> yeah, and probably- sometimes I tell, you know, the couples uh, that I see, it's like, you know, if you're going down that avenue of, 
marriage counseling and you know there's a lot of disagreements get your hormones balanced mm -hmm. and you know get good sleep and you'll be a happier person and you know you don't it, you know i think a lot of unnecessary divorces because uh not all the cases but it's because their hormones aren't balanced I agree. And you know, my Jolva cream that I created, my feminine cream for women, it has DHEA in it. And it's a topical oh. for the vulva and also has some plant stem cells from the alpine rose and some emu oil, coconut oil and some shea butter. So good moisturizer. But a lot of like a lot of us disconnect from our, you know, if it hurts, if we have discharge after we have sex, if we have pain, burning, why would we want to? It will be subconscious deterrent to intimacy. And that happens, I mean, it happens postpartum. It happens as stress piles in. It happens, you know, so regardless, definitely happens in our, um, in menopause with hormone decline. So addressing these issues and then again, using it where it has a, a local effect as well as systemic effect, I think is, is key. All right, let's move on to number four. Fourth recommendation was in symptomatic menopausal women who are at significant risk from the use of hormone replacement therapy, the use of selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and possibly other non-hormonal agents may offer significant symptom relief. Do you want to talk about what they're talking about here? Well, they're talking about, um, the term selective estrogen okay. receptor uptakers. Uh, so that's a class of, of through pharmaceuticals that I don't even use. Uh, I, I, I tried it a uh, long time ago. And, but um, there are some natural serms that are out there. Um, actually, there's one called Estravera by, uh, I think, Metagenics, which is a plant-based estrogen that activates the E3 receptors. And it can help with relieving hot flashes. And it's safe. I have some women with history of breast cancer and they don't absolutely won't touch estrogen. So mm -hmm. I'll use E3 mm -hmm. or Estevera, which is a serum, selective estrogen. Uh, well, they're talking about, um, they're also talking about SSRIs mm -hmm. too on this. Um, so SSRIs is, I think, you know, if a patient is, has symptomatic, if a woman is symptomatic, um, and um, the thing is that a lot of women can get great relief with uh, use of uh, progesterone, just using that itself. And then maybe if they have an issue with estrogen, you can kind of use something a little different like, you know, uh, E3, estriol, which does not stimulate the breast, not one reported case of breast mm -hmm. cancer, or, or use uh, something uh, natural like um, uh, estrovera, plant-based estrogen that does not activate the E2 receptors, but just the E3 receptors. So, yeah, no, uh, I don't think you. I don't think you need to use SSRIs for if you're symptomatic. You need to use Prozac for hot flashes. I think that's that's ridiculous. I agree. I couldn't agree more. And in fact, you know, when we talk about SSRIs and CIRMs, I mean, there again, there are instances where we can use them short term, but let's get to the underlying imbalances, the serotonin issues, the dopamine issues. You know, again, progesterone is one of my favorite antidepressants. I used it and I always think, you know, I, I, in working with clients, we learn to figure out what works, what doesn't work, especially my clients with postpartum depression. What's safe? What can they use while breastfeeding? What will get them you know, get them out of this funk and progesterone, hands down. The same with, you know, I would use progesterone before I would use Prozac. And lo and behold, the, the symptoms went away. Yeah. And 
and then the other thing is, you know, and we have, we have to emphasize to our, our women, to all of, all of our clients that, you know, everyone who's listening is self-care is important. Resentment is lack of self-care. When we're burnt out, we're going to feel disconnected. Our, our hormones, our reproductive hormones, estrogen and testosterone, they're the last ones to get produced, right? So, so we have to fill, you know, we fill our tank with cortisol and insulin and, you know, first. So, you know, estrogen and testosterone get left behind those reproductive hormones, those, those really thriving hormones. And when we're losing that, you know, when we are struggling with that balance between progesterone, um, consider higher level hormones and our lower level hormones, that really does create mood disturbance. Physiology affects behavior. You know, let's address the physiology that will improve the behavior, the mood, the overall sense of well-being, which we want to maintain. Correct. I totally agree. So, um, yeah. you know, progesterone would be my first choice and it has saved a lot of my, um, uh, patients' marriages and uh, their relationships. So they're super happy. And when they eventually forget to take it, they'll, or they run out of it, uh, they'll come back later and they go, Oh, now I remember why I got back on it yeah. or why I need it. So. And, and also my pet, my peeve, so to speak, with this recommendation is that in symptomatic menopausal women who are at significant risk from the use of HRT, that we're at significant risk from not using HRT more than we're at risk when we're using, let's say, bioidentical, you know, judiciously prescribed HRT. And and I think that's, you know, to... Uh, um, clarifying that is, is important. Like who's, who's at risk, who's not at risk. And then again, so much naturally, like you said, um, metagenics, estrovera. I use, you know, we use maca, you know, and I think that's right. a, a serum. And what are natural, what are natural ways? I tried different prescription serums and clients that were, um, you know, symptomatic post breast cancer, et cetera. And, they, they just, the symptoms, the side effects are worse than the symptoms sometimes. And mm-hmm. something, again, to consider um, that that's still an area that needs natural intervention. All right. So, um, all right, let's. So, I number five. Move on to next five. Yeah. So uh, this is the hot topic that I kind of started off with. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. Five says um, the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists does not recommend use of bioidentical hormone therapy. And this was what ignited me because like what? You don't use T8, T, you know, T4, you don't use T3, you don't use insulin, you don't use cortisol. What are you talking about? Testosterone, you don't use that? Growth hormone endocrinologists have the license on that one, you know. So anyway, your please give me your uh, way in on well, it. Uh, well, I think one thing that they have in their section uh, is they list the different types of um, uh, bioidentical hormones that's uh, on the market, and uh, there's a really old one that I don't think anyone really uses anymore, and that's called Triest. Mm-hmm. Uh, which has, or triestrogen, which has, uh, estriol, which is a really good estrogen, uh, estradiol, and then they, which is your estrogen of youth, and then estrone, which is really the estrogen of menopause. 
And, uh, you know, when I guess when Dr. Jonathan Wright uh, was the first one writing bioidentical hormones, uh, eventually they developed this uh, trias. Uh, but uh, it's kind of uh, went out of favor because we noticed that estrone is really a, a bad estrogen and it's kind of linked to, uh, it is linked to breast cancer. So, um, you know, you should not use, quote, uh, the, the uh, triest. Uh, you should, you know, if you do use something, maybe use biest or something like that, which only has estriol and estradiol without the estriol. Yeah. And I think too, this. Well, I, I agree, I agree with that statement, not to use trias, but to the whole thing about bioidentical, I really think that it's just like, um, we're going to be arguing, we're going to, they're going to still be discussing this for another 15 years. Um, so I think your daughter will graduate college and will still not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think you're absolutely right, but I, I think that's the problem with just kind of throwing out bioidentical hormone, and, and I think it really wants to limit, you know, that whole concept of limiting our ability not to write a standard big pharma prescription versus going to founding. Yeah, yeah. I think I think probably a lot of these people on the committee they've had some tie-ins with uh, pharmaceutical companies, and uh, anyway, um, I, I think it's maybe a little biased and. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the thing is that um, I think if you look at biased and estriol, progesterone, testosterone, uh, which has been used for many, many years, um, the thing is that uh, you know, I think it's much safer than the, definitely the synthetic hormones. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And um, again, we continue to look and, and evaluate clinically. How do our clients do? And and how 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 are we able to customize? Now, I I agree with avoiding oral estrogens in general, and typically triest was in our oral estrogen combination. Now, I think that what we have to see with whatever hormone regimen, bioidentical or otherwise, is what is our body doing with that? And we have the technology now to look at estrogen detoxification, metabolism pathways. You know, how is your body metabolizing your own natural estrogen? And one thing that I found out as I got better at, at customizing hormones is using progesterone, testosterone, DHEA. I mean, rarely would I need to add on estrogen in a patient that was metabolizing their hormones well in general and, and down the appropriate pathways through nutritional pathways that will be you know that was um you know we really need to watch that and and see but uh, you know a little bit goes a long way where estrogen is concerned as well so the focus of throwing out all bioidentical hormones because of um the focus of throwing out all bioidentical hormones because of um one and then just signaling out estrone i think is is limited to, um, and there may be some reason in clients who have a, uh, a significant detox or estrogen detox impairment where the, um, E1 negatively feeds back to decrease your body's own production down those E1 pathways. Anyway, that's just a thought. Right. Okay. So, um, let me just kind of, uh, kind of ask you a question. So I actually, um, you know, I have probably 4,000 patients in my practice, which is not huge, but, 
Um, and I have some people who've left the practice and all that, but I think on one hand, after 10 years, I have some women who've been diagnosed with breast cancer. It's actually three cases. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, if you look at the general population, it's about 11% of women will develop breast cancer. So if you have, let's say, a thousand patients, a uh, thousand women patients, then you should have about, let's say, a hundred women with breast cancer because that's the national average. Now, I have less than 1% women who take HRT therapy that, you know, have or, mm -hmm. I mean, develop breast cancer. And I've asked many other doctors around the country, you know, what their, you know, statistics are. And it's very similar. So I'm just curious what your numbers are. Um, with breast cancer? Well, I retired my clinical practice a couple of years ago, but when I was in practice, one thing that I noticed just being over, you know, over a decade in clinical practice is that the number of breast biopsies, the number of cyst aspirations, the number of MRIs, et cetera, that I referred clients to went down 90, over 90%. And then I, I got curious, you know, I'm like, how many, you know, compared to other GYN offices, how many people are getting diagnostic mammograms? What percentage of their mammograms are going on to diagnostic mammograms or what is their breast cancer diagnostic rates? And mine was a fraction of the other clinics. And so I felt really good to have that because I was solo practice too, Edwin. And so it felt really good to have that transition over the life of my practice and then also to see that, okay, you know, we, we, it, we are making a difference and that is through detox, through bioidentical hormones, through nutritional and lifestyle um, modifications that we can recommend as, as docs. So definitely, I don't know what exactly my percentage was, but over the years it dropped significantly. Yeah, so that's kind of consistent with the numbers on, you know, I've been asking um, with uh, physicians around the country uh, that have been practicing for some time that uh, uh, women who take HRT, actually it does protect them against parental cancer. But remember, cancer is not just, I think that we should educate our patients. It's not just hormones. It's more environmental toxins. Mm -hmm. that damages our DNA. So it could be the radiation from the mammograms that's linked to breast cancer, or it could be from the um, xenoestrogens in our diet uh, or, or something that's causing uh, a damage to our DNA. So it's all about trying to detox and, yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It does make a difference. All right. Seventh recommendation, HRT is not recommended for the prevention of diabetes. Well, uh, they, in their study, they show that, uh, that it doesn't really, uh, uh, not significantly improve, or some have slightly improved with glucose. So it's controversial with this thing, but, uh, you know, the thing is that, um, I think with good diet and exercise and good nutrition and changing just diet itself and active lifestyle with uh, exercise, uh, you can uh, treat 90% of, of patients with prediabetes with just just active lifestyle. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, uh, so I've, I'm not, yeah, yeah, I'm not quite sure what they're referring about because um, on number um, was it number six? Number I missed number seven. six. I'm at seven. I missed number six. I <laughs> have to go back to oh. that one. <laughs> 
Yeah, actually, I don't even know what number six is. I was trying to look online. It's a, it's all in French, so I don't know what six is about. But uh, anyway, um, I think that uh, for um, I've never seen anyone in my practice that get on HRT therapy that has diabetes and makes it worse. Yeah, I've used, you know, again, I think hormone management in clients with diabetes is hugely, is hugely beneficial. Testosterone, DHEA, I mean, that can have benefits in the right clients as well, certainly progesterone. But, um, I think then, you know, I always, I think the research behind the ketogenic diet and then the lifestyle changes, working on keto, you know, keto alkaline is kind of the program that I adhere to Edwin. It's like get an alkaline urinary pH and let's get your body into ketosis. Let's follow intermittent fasting rules at least periodically. Let's work on that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you can you you can uh, address a lot of uh, reverse a lot of uh, pre-diabetes, insulin resistance or even diabetes. Now, you know, the data with testosterone and blood sugars, it's all over the place because some studies with testosterone which, which was not fair was looking at PCOS women, mm-hmm. and that's a totally different population than non-PCOS because PCOS women have high insulin levels, and it's not a fair study. You can't compare apples to apples with that. But the non-PCOS uh, studies with testosterone actually lowers blood sugar. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it's it, this is this is there's data all over the place. So you know, it, to me. I don't see anyone coming, knocking on my door and saying, I want HRT therapy to lower my risk of diabetes. They're, they're knocking on my door because they're tired, fatigued, and they're mm-hmm. just want their life back. Yeah. So, or, so it's, uh, to me, I don't, anyway, I'm going to skip that right Well, no, treat, treat the underlying, re, treat the underlying pathology versus their diagnosis. You know, I mean, we have to exactly. treat the, reason for their diagnosis. So here's the Comité de l'Evolution des Pratiques en Oncologie. It recommended... Oh, wow, you can do French. Ah, try. Try not to put my Spanish accent on it. (laughs) But um, it recommended for breast cancer patients being treated with tamoxifen, A, the use of the venlafaxine, citolopram, Clonidine, gabapentin, and pregabalin be considered effective in treating hot flashes. And B, the use of paroxetine and fluoxetine be avoided given that they may reduce the efficacy of tamoxifen. That was number one. Number two, it said for breast cancer patients not being treated with tamoxifen, the use of venlafaxine, paroxetine, citolopram, clonidine, gabapentin, um, Pregabalin. So side effect with all those Yeah, and treating and just focusing on treating hot flashes. And then for breast cancer survivors, sertraline, phytoestrogens, black cohosh, and St. John's wort should not be used to treat hot flashes. So, so that was the, that was what they're referring to in number six. And, and I would say, like, I've been looking at digging for the last decade into the research of DHEA and clients with who have had breast cancer as well as you know in in my expertise in sexual health vaginal estrogens right and we know even if a woman have had based on the research had history of breast cancer using vaginal estrogen clients had a lower morbidity and mortality well the same is true with vaginal dhea and we're getting better results so the studies by dr labrie out of canada that he's been digging into this using dhea and clients for over a decade with great safety profiles intravaginally 
um, and also current studies ongoing using it in women with breast cancer because their life is so severely compromised by the lack of hormones post breast cancer treatment that it's devastating that it's truly deaths after taking and you do this as well but heartbreaking to take care of patient after patient after patient that you know intimacy or you know is just shut down incontinence is a huge issue dryness irritation and they're just left to struggle or use ky jelly please i hope that no don't do that you know what i mean yeah yeah, and toxins in you know yeah yeah so um you know some i have very few patients that are breast cancer survivors and uh, they they would rather have quality of life than um quantity of life and uh um i i I tell them, you know, it's, it's your body. It's, it, you can do whatever you want to do, but uh, if you do not want to be on tamoxifen or other medications, uh, you know, it's your decision. I'm not telling you to do this, but, right. you know, if you want to, you know, wean yourself off it, um, you know, it, it's up to you. I mean, you're, you're, you're the captain of the ship. So, and I have a lot of women that just uh, their life cuts back to normal with, uh, you know, with maybe estriol and progesterone. They're really happy. Yeah. Um, some people use low dose estradiol, uh, just you know, just to help with you know, their vaginal dryness and or the hot flashes. Or the hot flashes. So, you know, everyone's individualized, and the thing is, um, um, breast cancer is very common, but I do not really think, um, and the data. I think uh, shows that if you take hormone therapy, it's actually, uh, it does protect you. Um, It does protect your telomeres. So, uh, but you have to do everything else. I mean, like we talked about. And immune system and those issues that, yeah, I couldn't agree more in that um, there are safe alternatives. And and while I'm not, you know, I think that Femara has a better profile and efficacy profile than tamoxifen. There is some, um, conflicting information, but that DHEA should not be used when you're on tamoxifen. So that's an absolute contraindication from my opinion right now, but I think there are better choices than tamoxifen anyway, but I leave that to the patient and their oncologist to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm not their oncologist, but um, you know, it's it's one of those things that uh, sometimes you have to look at the bigger picture. You want quality of life or quantity. So anyway mm-hmm. it's, it's up it's individualized so mm-hmm. some women want do mm-hmm. not want to have breast surgery or you know the, the one guy from rolling stone has lung cancer and doesn't want chemo because he doesn't want to lose his hair wow yeah it's individual and we should be able to have our, our right to choose but with that said too some of the research does in you know like we talk about with clients who have had breast cancer indicate you know less morbidity and mortality so to um, buy away from some helpful options and, you know, isn't um, substantiated by the research, right? We have some... Yeah, and, and there are some uh, case reports on women who take, um, you know, HRT therapy after breast cancer, and, they, and they've been followed and they're doing absolutely fine. Right, right. So, and I think we'll see so. more of that. Yeah, especially yeah, and it's, it's like care. that testosterone and uh, after use uh, the use after prostate cancer surgery, they do not see a higher rate of uh, reoccurrence. So I'm, I'm not saying that the, 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 there's little data. That's all I'm trying to say. But yeah, there's some data. So. Yeah, and then um, our final recommendation, Edwin, was a recommendation number eight um, from the American uh, um, College yeah. of 
American Association. Thank you. In women with previously diagnosed diabetes, the use of HRT should be individualized, taking into account age, metabolic, and cardiovascular risk factors. Sounds fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I have few diabetics that take uh, HRT. I don't have many diabetics. I usually kind of, um, I used to have tons of diabetics, but uh, actually, um, I can see how high dose progesterone can cause the blood sugar to go a little high. But I think if you have active lifestyle, you you you, you know, alkal, have more of an alkalinity type diet, or, or if you go into you know, there's many different types of diets. We could talk for hours for that, but you know, mm-hmm. whatever worked for that one person, and you know, you 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 can actually um, use actually some natural you know supplements that, that can help. Um, um, you can actually uh, do really well in, in improving blood sugars, and they can also have the benefits with you know sleeping better and having less. Um, I mean, calming their anxiety down with you know being on HRT therapy. Yeah. I've loved our discussion. I think we've definitely put a lot of food out there for thought. For our listeners, I encourage you to visit this blog, ask questions. We'll post it on Facebook too, so join me there. And you can join Dr. Edwin Lee at his clinic, Institute for Hormonal Balance, which is in Orlando, Florida, and I'll have him give you that website, but also his books. His books are great resources. They're well-found um, well-researched and also easy to read and digest. And I think that that makes a difference for all levels, clinicians and the layperson alike, to get more information, to be empowered, to make the choices that are in our best interest. So, Edwin, tell us how we can get a hold of you and how clients can make it. Sure. Um, yeah, so my um, website is very simple. If you actually just Google Dr. Edwin Lee, um, E-D-W-I-N, Lee, L-E-E, you'll, you'll, go, you'll find me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, the website is www.dredwinlee.com or, or com. So, um, and you know, if you call the office, um, I'm really booked out far, but I have a nurse practitioner named Becky. Uh, Rebecca Murray, who's actually oh my gosh, did Monster. Becky join yeah. you? I did yes, not yes, realize I, she's one of the. I, best I know you know. Her. Yeah, she's oh one of the best. And she's, she loves complicated cases, and she's um, she's been practicing functional medicine for twenty years. So it, it's been a gem to have her, and uh, so it's much easier to see Becky and more affordable to see her than me. So uh, anyway, she's on part of the team. She does part-time. She likes to speak around the country, around the world. So she's always one weekend, San Diego, next one, you know, down to New York City. And she's crisscrossing everywhere, speaking and teaching. It's a great teacher. She's enjoying life. What a great um, pair you are. That's awesome. It's good to know. Well, I've sent you several clients, yeah. always hear great reports back on clinical. So, and for Becky, too, when she was up in New York. So glad to know that you two have uh, joined forces. I didn't realize that, but I am thrilled. I am absolutely thrilled. So I look yeah. forward to seeing you. She's, she's, uh, she's a big, she, she's a woman's uh, health expert. And uh, so um, it's right right there. So it's um, anyway, um, she, her practice is growing fast. Um, so anyway, I'm just going to throw out a my future kids book. It's not out yet. I don't know when, but uh, it'll be on Amazon. Um, you can uh, get my two kids book. Um, 
your amazing heart and your awesome brain, which is um, a full-colored book. Uh, on this, you can have it on Kindle version or paperback on Amazon. And uh, anyway, my third book will be Your Incredible Liver. And uh, I'm really proud about that book. So I'm finding a new, I'm in the midst of interviewing for a new illustrator because my previous one um, is just too busy to to do this side job for me. Mm. But those were great. The amazing heart and your awesome brain were really great. We had but you're going to love the liver book. Cause I can't it's, wait. It's, 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 yeah, I, I'm so excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I, I'd be curious to see what the illustrator comes up with. That'll be interesting. Yeah, I know. The, the story is good. It, 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 I just need a, uh, someone who has talent. And anyone out there who, who I'm going to just throw this pitch out there, is if anyone knows a literary children's um, agent, uh, for a children's book, uh, I'd love to basically uh, get contacted because I really believe that these kids' books should be with you know in every school, mm-hmm. and uh, would love to be with a big publishing company. It's just that it's it's really who you know, and mm-hmm. uh, it's it's every time I try to find a, a literary agent, I can talk about an adult one. I can easily find that. But for children, it's it's a special club, and I just mm. cannot break that that you know circle. So, well, I am praying for you. I will include that in my prayers Thank and you. pray that Appreciate that it. that comes your way because these books are great. They were the favorite books for our, our kids at school, elementary school. We donated a bunch, and it was the the second grade class, the third grade great class they were you know the favorite that's a sweet book. spot oh my God. that's a sweet spot and, and if you want to uh, it's all about teaching the next generation mm-hmm. and education and they have to understand why and uh, so it's one of those things that i think if we're going to make a difference in the next generation we have to teach and start so, early anyway. start early make it yeah, yeah impact mm-hmm. it plus lead by example so for everyone leading by example huff puff and sweat <laughs> we got to take yeah. care of our livers take care of our brain take care of our hormones and i guess this is you know, my my reason to bring this um, position statement up was really to kind of just clarify you know the the clinical world the research world the big pharma the things that are opposing us sometimes unnecessarily we really all need to be working together and the research and the results and the clinical present you know the clinical results that will continue to come up from customizing client care is going to overwhelm ultimately i i just pray the word of of one size fits all medicine so we keep we keep working with that physicians we're getting more and more physicians into integrative medicine and functional medicine and combining all of these you know aspects into teaching and i don't discriminate when it comes to healing like what's going to get my client better and how can we do it as naturally as possible the lowest effective dose i'm not uh, putting people back to 20 30 year old hormone levels but just let's physiology physiologically get balance and then do what we need to in our lifestyle to really achieve this. And and God's given us a a ton of resources. So, so taking that into empowering the individual and empowering everyone today who's listening to really take charge of their health in a positive way is, you know, that's my goal. That's that's my goal too. So great. Yes. Well said.
Thank you, Edwin. It's always great to talk with you, Dr. Lee. So for everyone, DrEdwinLee.com. And then um, join me again on my podcast for next week. And I thank you all for spending time with me today. Thank you, Anna.